This is Strange Assembly episode 190, Gen Con 2016 preview. I'm Chris Stevenson, and with me as often is Jay Earl. Hey. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or check us out on iTunes. All right, Jay, we, we mentioned uh, the other episode that I'm going to be at Gen Con, you're going to be at Gen Con. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing at Gen Con, what we're looking forward to at Gen Con. If you don't know what Gen Con is... Why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> yes. It is the the largest gaming convention in the uh, Western Hemisphere. <laughs> and uh, I, this is going to be something of a new sort of Gen Con for me because I don't know when the last time was that I went to a Gen Con that did not involve playing Legend of the Five Rings. Same, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you usually I'd just be playing, planning L5R activities, and there's now there's just so much more room for activities. I I don't know what to do with myself. What are we doing? So I'm trying. We'll see how this all works out. I'm trying to be able to actually go talk with some publishers some more, and I will be bringing back the uh, the sort of live from Gen Con episode with recordings and things. It's not going to have L5R tournament stuff anymore, but, you know. <laughs> and we've got some nifty stuff that I should be setting up to do that. Pathfinder, and they're actually going to be launching playtest signups at Gen Con for a new upcoming Star Trek role-playing game from uh, Modifius Entertainment, so I'm talking to them. I think that'll be my third Star Trek RPG. I never actually played the FASA one. So I anticipate uh, doing a lot of that. I have a lot more ticketed new game things too, just right, because you get to do a lot of them. I I could still get a ticket for Star Trek Ascendancy, but it's a four-hour slot, so I think I'm going to pass on that. But I know you're doing at least one thing that's a four-hour slot, right? Or how how much time do you get in True Dungeon, Jay? I think they're two. They're about about two hours or so, but it sounds like you can spend even more time prepping or something. I don't know. Yeah, I I've seen before those true dungeon things, and they always look cool. But there wasn't time for that with L5R. But with L5R gone, I was like, that looks cool. I'm gonna go try that out. See how it is. Just doing a little bit of research, it definitely looks like you can go way off the deep end with that. So who knows? Maybe next year I'll be raw true dungeon. There's a secondary market for True Dungeon, for like oh. the items and stuff that you can get in there, and then they sell boosts and stuff. And yeah, no, so the, they sell tokens to give you, you know, magical items and stuff to go in. And I was amused. I was like, oh, I, maybe I should get some ahead of time just to, you know, not be a complete and total noob. So I went to their website to see. I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like ten bucks for a booster, but if you buy a certain amount, you get bonus rare tokens so like for just 250 dollars you get a bonus ultra rare of your pick 
You're like, I just stopped those, playing a CCG. I don't need any more of this. Yeah, exactly. Those go all, if I remember correctly, there's an $8,000 tier where if you buy $8,000 worth of random things, you get all of these other things too. I'm not going to commit that much. And you thought in-app purchases were bad. I, I do, yes. I'm looking at you, Clash Royale. <laughs> That's all of them. All of them. I always <laughs> yeah. have to remember that, that like every time I see something about some app that looks interesting, it'll be like, oh, it's a Star Wars this or it's a Star Trek that. And then you read the description. It's like, build this and do that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't be suckered in, Stevenson. You'll get to play for like a day and then you won't be able to do anything unless you buy more energy or money or something mm-hmm. in the game. Ugh. Ugh. Just charge me. Charge me ten bucks up front if your game is good or whatever it is for your app, and uh, let's go from there. I don't know how much that stuff matters in True Dungeon. I don't. It seems like people have plenty of good times with that without buying anything like that. Exactly. No. Yeah. I mean, actually, from from what little research I've done, it looks like they do a really smart thing where when you go in as your party, you pick what difficulty level you want. So, like, the normal difficulty is if you, this is your first time, you just got the random booster pack we give you at the start of the game, you could be fine. All the way up to, like, a nightmare, hardcore, crazy level for the people who have spent $8,000 and have plus 87 katana to swing at their opponents. There's some combat, whatever, in True Dungeon, but a lot of it's puzzle solving, right? There are two different things, you can do a combat-focused one or a puzzle-focused one of the same adventure. And each adventure has, like, six or seven rooms. And basically, in the puzzle-focused one, it's, like, three combat or two combat and five puzzles. And in the combat-focused one, it's five combat and two puzzles. So are you doing a puzzle-focused one or a combat-focused one? There is a correct answer here, Jay, by the way. (laughs) Sadly, I, when I got in, all of the tickets for the puzzle-focused ones were gone, so I'm doing combat-focused ones. Ah. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how that even works. You'll have to tell me on the other side. We'll do. When we do our Gen Con wrap-up episode, I will talk at length <laughs> about how cool it was, I'm sure. Now, are you signed up to do any any other particular new events that you are interested in but weren't able to do before? So I'm also doing the Imperial Assault on Saturday, tournament on Saturday. Ooh. See, now, I I did not sign up for that. Like, I, I, I own Imperial Assault, but not really mm-hmm. much for it. I have plenty of Armada, and I have plenty of Star Wars the card game, because clearly the important way to get us to play these games is to put Star Wars in the title. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> but... <gasps> At, like, L5R tournaments is one thing. If I showed up in an Armada tournament, I'd just get massacred. Are you expecting to get massacred or being competitive, or...? Well, so, a couple months ago at Evergreen Tabletop Expo for their regionals, I took ninth place for the cut of eight, so... Yeah, that's about my expectation level these days. You're gonna get ninth place at Gen Con? That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, whatever <laughs> the cut is, I will get the next place. Ah, that, that's respectable. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, if I, if I, 
if I played Armada and was like 50-50 on the day, that would be a great success, I'm pretty sure. No, yeah, my goal, my goal is, uh, as always, is to break even. So, uh, we'll see what actually happens, though. Yeah, I just, there, you don't have to sink the same sort of massive amounts of money with a, as with like a CCG or a collectible thing with these, but there's still like some seriously competitive scenes out there, and I, oh, I yeah. am not part of those. I, I like, I can show up at the local store tournament and go 50-50, maybe. <laughs> That's, mm. you know. <laughs> Uh, the other, I guess, unique thing that I'm doing, which is kind of weird, because it's not even a Gen Con event, is I am finally going to get to participate in a math trade. <laughs> a, and a, 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 in brief, a, a math trade is you have, a, and they're run through Board Game Geek, all these people sign up, and then a list is created of all the items that all of these people want to trade. Every, you know, you just enter in all the things you want to trade. And then there's a little bit of programming called the online want list generator. And it will let you, it interfaces with the BGG. And so you can pull your collection. It can, it can pull what of yours off of the list. What off the list is yours. You can uh, actually use it to put the items on the list, because on BGG you can mark items for trade, and so if you're on the want list generator, you can tell it which math trade you want to participate in, and then it'll go into your profile, pull all the things you have marked trade, and then give you the option to insert those into the into the list. And then you go through and you say, this is what I have, this is what I'm willing to trade it for, and it is just a massive algorithm at that point that does a bunch of I think it brute forces it because it does a certain number of iterations and tries to come up with something that will maximize people trading. So instead of just I'm trading this game to that guy and for some second game and then I'm trading my other game to that girl for some fourth game, it might be this big convoluted list. So you, you it spits out a list. Like you are trade you are giving these items to those people and then you are getting these other items from those other people. So you might, you always trade off and, and bring back the same number of items. You can combine multiple games into one item, but it's just the trade is ultimately one item for one item. So you send 10 items away, you get 10 items back, but they might come from completely different people. But it, that's together. The, the problem with board games and doing that a lot of the times is that shipping costs really make it hard to just randomly trade things because there, you know, there's so much added cost in there. But at a place like Gen Con where you have a bunch of people getting together, you can do it without shipping. And so I'm doing that for the first time. It's probably not the i the ideal place to do it for the first time. That it'd probably be better at some local thing, but there hasn't been one in Atlanta since I've been checking to see if there was one. So I don't know how it's going to go. I don't I don't know yet what my lists are, they might be nothing. I mean, if right, it's possible, like, nobody wants your junk, Chris, or, well, they wanted it, but not for the stuff you wanted. Mm. Or the other way, I might just end up trading way too many things and having a serious logistical difficulty. It's only feasible because I'm not flying to Gen Con. If you're flying, you it's really hard to trade that many things. Uh, it's already hard enough just to buy things. I'm not really doing the tournament aspect of it this time. You have Imperial Assault. Do you have any... Oh, mm-hmm. do you... 
Do you, you have your list already? Do you have your 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 planned awesomeness, or are you just gonna wing it once you get there? I guess you can't really wing it once you get there because you got to package your uh, figures with you. Yeah, I need to figure out because I honestly have not played since Bespin dropped. I really need to figure out if I like the Ugnots well enough to actually feel the list of Ugnots or not. So next weekend, I think there's some local tournament happening that I'm gonna try to go to to play Ugnots. And if I don't like it, Bantha it is. Because Bantha Ruffle Stomp's faces. Oh, they do? I actually, I have a Bantha thing. I I got it pretty cheap, and so I just assumed that it must stink, and I like in a competitive no. point of view, and that's why. <laughs> no, no, Bantha Ruffle Stomp's faces. It was on clearance. I have to say, it's not super inspiring for a Star Wars game when you say, well, my two options are Ugnaughts and, and, and Banthas. See, I, I want to say, like, come on, d- didn't Obi-Wan and the Inquisitor just come out? Can't they be on a list? No, they did. And Greedo's definitely going on my list, but I will, I will like playing the Scum Faction. Yes, there'll be lots of troopers. I'm horribly tempted to play the Jedi Spy list I've been tinkering with, because that seems hilarious. But I just, I like playing Scum. That that, w- that would work out. We could, uh, if they sold these things in sets where we could do that, we could, like, buy one thing, and I could take the, the cool stuff, and you could get the scum. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, that faction, I have the, I just, I'm not interested in them in a, in a Star Wars thing. I did, like, in, in Star Wars, the card game, I don't, I don't want to play a scum and villainy deck. That's, that's tedious. I don't like any of these characters. I mean, yeah, when they added them to X-Wing, like, whatever. Gameplay-wise, they can they can do interesting things, but they, to me, they're just not an interesting part of the the setting, like the you know Jedi versus Sith or the Rebellion versus the uh, Imperial Navy. Okay, so so since a lot of Gen Con is going to be about uh, exciting new games, Jay and I are going to talk about the ten because that's a nice round number. Games that we each picked that we're really excited to see at Gen Con and to see how they go. And these, hopefully, will all be games that are at least available for demo. Not all of them will be for sale. It it usually ends up that there are some that they think are going to be for sale or not. A number of them are going to be things that are for sale at Gen Con, but then won't be really coming out until later in August or until September. Some of them will be things, I think, that come out at Gen Con and like really are are just simultaneously available in retail stores. Some of them are already out. So like I'll like Scythe, I'll just say that like next episode is going to be all about Scythe, not all about Scythe, but it, it's going to include Scythe anyway, just a normal game review episode because I already have Scythe, Jay already has Scythe. So it's mm-hmm. for us it's like that's it's not really an exciting new game at Gen Con when I already played it last week. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm excited for that game, but it's not in my mind a Gen Con game. So we'll just do our usual. Uh, do you want to start off, Jay? What what's your what's the first game on your looking forward to it at Gen Con list? My number ten looking forward to is uh, my first Bananagrams. So I think I mentioned this a couple episodes ago that. I, at a con, got to play Bananagrams, the main, the original game, uh-huh. and greatly enjoyed that, and I'm looking forward to this, because this is, like, 
get to play with kids and introduce them to uh, words and letters and stuff. So you might actually want to pick up a copy. Unfortunately, it's not listing an actual age minimum as far as I can tell, but I feel like Benjamin should be about the right age to be playing this with you. I don't know, he's five, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, five, he's He's learning to to read, and he can read a little bit, but I don't... I mean, how basic is it? We'll have to see, it's... uh... Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wonder. There's there's a number of these. I yeah, there's a my first Carcassonne. There's a my first mm-hmm. Stone Age. Other ones go with Junior. There's a Catan Junior, I believe. And this this is not the only new Bananagrams thing actually coming not, out, no. right? <laughs> no, there's also I think it was called Party Bananagrams or Bananagrams Party, where instead of just letter tiles, there's also power tiles mixed in. That sounds more like Gamer Bananagrams, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, my number 10 is technically higher on your list, although it's your next one. Yes, okay. Well then, my number 9, your number 10, is Valley of the King's Last Rites, because I've enjoyed all of the previous iterations of Valley of the King's, so it'll be cool to get the next iteration of Valley of the King's, because it's such a well-done deck-building game. Yeah, I I have... Valley of the Kings at 10 here. I yeah, I really like the first two. Uh, you can go listen to our, our, our reviews of of prior iterations, but yeah, it's a odd little... Odd isn't really the... That doesn't convey the right sense. It's a unique sort of deck builder, and you, I mean, you've got a pyramid of cards, because it's got an Egyptian theme that you... that crumbles down, and you get, get cards from the bottom of the pyramid, and then you... To, in order to score things, you have to entomb them, because it's he who dies with the most toys wins, but that takes them out of your deck, so then, you know, you at some point you have to get your wave goodbye to some of your powerful cards and put them in your tomb so you can actually score them. It's low on my list because it's the third iteration. I mean, it's it's a standalone expansion. It's a third version. I Do I... It's really weird. It's like, I know I'm 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 extremely confident I'm going to like this, but I mean it is just it's it's the third time. So so down at at number ten, and that's that's from Alderac Entertainment Group, designed by Tom Cleaver, and it should be that should be for sale at Gen Con. My number nine, which is also at number nine for similar reasons to Valley of the Kings being at my. Uh, <laughs> number 10 is Codenames Pictures. Uh, we've, we've also talked about Codenames here before, but it's a party game. You can play with four people. You probably want to have at least six. You split into teams. One person on each team is giving one-word clues. And in normal Codenames, there's an array of words out on the board, and you as the clue giver know that, you know, about half of those words are your words, and you are trying to give a clue that will induce your teammates to pick at least one, but hopefully more than one, of those words that are your words, and at the same time making sure that they don't pick the words that are, your other, that are the other team's words, because if your team picks the other team's words, then that scores them for the other team. And it's it's ideal with at least six, so instead of just one person guessing... You have two people trying to figure out the clue, and then they can have a conversation about it, and that makes it more interesting. So, Codenames Pictures, 
I believe is exactly code names except the array of a secret agents, technically it is, out on the board are not, they're not words, they're pictures. But, uh, I, code names is fantastic. It's one of the best games last year. It actually just won, uh, Spiel des Jahres, if I, uh, recall correctly. So, that is, uh, code names pictures from CGE designed by, uh, Vlada Kvadl. Okay, so my number eight is one that I'm interested in getting a demo. So it's so going to be available for demo at Gen Con, and it sounds like it's going to have a Kickstarter campaign later in the year. It's called Mintworks. It looks like it's one of these tiny little games. Like, it literally looks like it's supposed to fit inside a box of mints. And then it's a little light worker placement game themed around be- your being mints and you're getting plays. So I've liked before these little games. I remember Mike got a Kickstarter a year or two ago of all of these gum-sized games. So I like to check out these smaller games that really adds an interesting constraint to the design space. So I'm interested to see how that works. It is designed by Justin Blask and published by 524 Labs. My number eight is Via Nebula. It's designed by Martin Wallace and from Space Cowboys. And I mentioned that up front because, I'll, I'll be honest, throwing the Space Cowboys label on there actually makes me pay attention. I mean, right, you, you know, you, you develop, publishers have a reputation. Mm-hmm. But Space Cowboys has had fantastic, I mean, they, uh, Splendor was one of the couple of best games of 2014. Time Stories was one of the couple of best games of 2015 at least out of the stuff that I've played so far. It's funny, just when you think that you have, like, really gotten a good handle on, say, like, the 2015 games, you look at the 2016 Gen Con lineup and realize how many of them are, at least officially on BGG, 2015 releases, because somebody sold a handful of copies of them at Essen in 2015. Like, and yeah, but so so Space Cowboys Engine. So uh, Via Nebula is a resource management thing. It, it's got a, a nice, cute aesthetic that I like. For I guess for some reason, I guess I don't usually. I'm not usually drawn particularly to cute sort of aesthetics, but it's very it's very colorful. You've got a fog out there, so you have on the landscape, so you have to explore the landscape and rebuild the the city. While you're you're trying to complete these con uh, these contracts that will that will rebuild buildings and, and give you that, so it feels like it's going to be concept wise, you know, a uh, you know solid Euro thing, but just out of a a good designer, a good publisher, you know, good artwork and this interesting fog of, of war, as it were, around the the map to begin with. So uh, that's via Nebula. Okay. So my next one is Leaders of Euphoria, Choose a Better Oppressor. This is apparently a re-implementation of a game called Good Cop, Bad Cop that I have not played, but it's a social deduction game, this time set in the dystopian setting of Euphoria from Stonemaier Games, game of that name, Euphoria. So I like uh, social games, I like the setting of Euphoria, so I'm interested in trying this out. It's another one that looks like they're just doing demos at Gen Con. 
but yeah, I am definitely interested in getting a demo and seeing how I like this game. It's published by Overworld Games, designed by Brian Henk and Clayton Skanke. Probably pronounced that horribly. They're they're just licensing the Euphoria universe from Stonemaier, right? Right, and putting it on their good cop, bad cop engine. So yeah, it's not a hugely new game, but it sounded interesting to me. Yeah. So my number seven on this list is Gloomhaven. And uh, if you anybody who's listening to the podcast this year, uh, first... I'm sorry that the audio quality has been scratchier this year. We had to, I had to replace my, uh, mic at the end of 2015 and the replacement didn't work out well. Hopefully this one's better. Sorry, random little aside there. But Gloomhaven, if you've been listening to me for last year, you know I, I like the legacy concept and I love, 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 as did many other people, pandemic legacy. In fact, if you've been listening to this, you already know what my number one game on this list is going to be. But Gloomhaven is also a legacy-style game in that there is a persistent world. It is a dungeon crawler, but it is a it is a tactical, non-random, you know, a deterministic combat game, not a just a dice chucker. Uh, your characters persist from state to state, and there's also a you have in between adventures you have to make choose-your-own-adventure-style selections. In between that, this was kickstarted earlier this year, and I, I'm not sure where they are in that. There's always that that sort of intersection of like I don't think Kickstarter backers have it yet. Maybe maybe I've, I they do, and I and I've missed that. It will be there. I just don't know if it's only going to be only for demo. But that is Gloomhaven from Cephalafair, designed by Isaac Childress, which I think is necessarily the case if it's a Cephalafair game. <laughs> All right, my next is called Bring Your Own Book, which it sounds to me like it's apples to apples, but instead of using the judge throws puts in an the first card of what you're doing, but instead of having a handful of cards for everyone else to pick from, everyone has their own book that they go find a sentence or phrase or something to match with. That sounds like a fun twist on the apples to apples formula. And it lets you, you know, harangue your friends with your favorite book at game night and make them listen to you read it for a bit. <laughs> um, so that's Bring Your Own Book, published by GameRight and designed by Matthew Moore. Okay. Uh, my number six is Star Trek Ascendancy, something you'll see a lot of at Gen Con and on gaming things generally is is Star Trek. And this is one of those. Star Trek Ascendancy is a, a large, large box game where in the, the base game it is three players, Federation, Romulans, Klingons. You start out on your home planet. You actually, you actually start with, there's no board. A lot of times these, these sort of, uh, 4X-ish games, you lay everything out, but then you flip them over. I, I think on this one you actually start just with your, planet sitting there. They're a defined distance in inches apart, and they're just sitting there, and then you can kind of explore out and possibly build the map around anywhere on the table, or wherever it is that you designated the play area. I mean, most of it's going to be in the middle. And this is 4XE, right? You have to expand out, you have to you know, come up with new advancements in technology. 
you can win by either militarily crushing everyone else or by what I guess I will call a a I'm going to call it a culture victory. I don't know what it is. I mean, it's it's achievements. You do various things. They earn culture every so many culture. You can get an achievement. You get five achievements, then you win. It looks really nifty. Uh, it is. For sale, it is going to be for sale for the first time at Gen Con and at uh, the same weekend. There's some Star Trek thing over on the West Coast, Vegas, maybe. I'm not sure. And it, I mean, it's going, to, it's going to be for sale there too. But this is going to be the first weekend. It is going to be then available for normal retail purchase in late August or early September. The first print run comes with like some extra 50th anniversary promo cards to use in the game, so I, I don't think that's just the Gen Con stuff, but at least it's a an encouragement to get it relatively quickly. They'll actually also have... They are almost immediately coming out with expansions for the... Oh, the Cardassians and someone else. I remember the Cardassians because they, they noted that you may actually be able to play with the Cardassians at... Gen Con, they may have that expansion there in demo form, in addition to being able to buy the main game. Now, this is... I, I do not anticipate playing this at Gen Con, and because as I mentioned earlier, the, the slots for it are four hours, which is why it's lower on my list than it otherwise would be, because it has gotten really hard to get those things to the... I mean, the, the playtime on this, the box, says, the box apparently says 90 to 180 minutes, but the rulebook, it says it's an hour per player, and it's really a three-player game. So, it's just hard to, to play those. You can... Yeah. yeah. Ain't nobody got no time for that. Yeah, or, yeah or, or you have to get... Even if you have the time, you have to get everybody to agree that, like, this is going to be the one game that we play today. Mm-hmm. So it, it's very cool. I, uh, but it's it's definitely on the the large side of things. But then you know I've also got I've got that's why I've got a code names in Valley of Kings also balance out the box size on this. No, right? That's a thing. So Star Trek Ascendancy <laughs> is from Gale Force Nine. It's designed by Aaron Dill, John Kovaleski, and Sean Swigert. Okay, my number five is Covert. This is a spy themed dice placement game that sounded kind of interesting to me, because as as you can probably tell from my list, I like that kind of sneaky social deduction type thing. You do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I I, I like the idea of it's it's a spy game. You're, You're using dice placement to mess with the other players and sort of get your actions through. This is apparently going to be one that's for sale at Gen Con ahead of its retail release. But I definitely want to check out a demo of it, and assuming I like it, which I think I will, I will probably pick up a copy. So that's Covert, published by Renegade Game Studios, designed by Keen Klinko. Okay, my number five is The Ninth World, a skill-building game for Numenera. Now, if you only listen to the podcast and don't read the website, uh, you may not have heard me mention much of anything about Numenera. I, I tend to have uh, a, a lot lately. I, I have a much easier time writing about role-playing games and talking about board games. 
So the role-playing game reviews are almost entirely something that, that occurs on the website rather than on the podcast. And so Numenera was a, uh, a pretty fantastic role-playing game that came out several years ago. And this is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a skill-building game for Numenera. So think like deck building, dice building, pool building, everything's building these days. It's set in Numenera. You're out going to an adventure out into the, you know, these strange lands of Numenera. You can do shorter games where you're exploring, you know, playing five rounds, exploring five regions. You can do a standard game, which is nine, and then I'm assuming you can do longer. You can hang out in town. You can go do more dangerous things, which is somewhat, I don't know, I'm not saying, I don't know that it mirrors it mechanically, but thematically, to some extent, mirrors uh, Thunderstone, which I was also... I'm also, I was also rather fond of. This was a Kickstarter earlier this year. It will be available for demo at Gen Con, but I do not, I do not anticipate it being for sale, but it, but it will be for demo. And that is published by Lone Shark, designed by Paul Peterson, Boyan, uh, Radkovich, and Mike Selinker, which I believe you, you may recognize from Adventure Card Game. Did you notice, Jay, that that's totally a thing now? Like, there's everything the adventure card game? Yeah. Apparently they should have trademarked that or, or something, right? I mean, this one doesn't have that label on it, but there's a, a Goonies adventure card game that you can play at Gen Con. There's, uh, I think the, the Warhammer is a, is Warhammer the adventure card game? Everybody's calling them that. Anyhow. Uh, so that was, uh, the Ninth World. What's your number four? All right, my number four is really bad art, which is about correct for me. This sounds like a fun little party game where basically you've got... It's one of those, you know, you're presented with a phrase and you're supposed to draw it and then get other people to guess it, but the fun of it is you only have, like, six seconds to draw whatever it is, so you know everyone's is going to be terrible, so I actually would fit in with my art skill levels there. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, this sounds like a fun little party game of very quick drawing things and, and you know, try to make each other laugh. It's published by Wonder Forge and designed by Forrest Prusan Creative. My number four, which was mentioned on the recent uh, Jack Vassal Memorial Fund episode uh, called, the episode was called Headhunters. But on that episode, the, the designers for Headhunters are all... Ben Chikoski and Danny Mandel are also the designers for this, which is Legendary Encounters Firefly. Now this is, if I'm keeping track, the third Legendary Encounters game after Legendary Encounters Alien and Legendary Encounters Predator, and uh, maybe there's something else. There may be some sort of Legendary Encounters Big Trouble in Little China? I don't know anything about that. Uh, but that, that hasn't come out yet, but as I mentioned in that episode, I, I like the game, but like Alien, ah, that's not really my IP. It's I mean I like it's I, I like the movie, but I'm not going to go at it. Firefly, on the other hand, I really like. And one of the the really nifty things about Legendary Encounter Alien, at least, I can't really speak to this about Predator because I've literally never seen a Predator movie, so I know nothing. But the Legendary Encounter Alien game 
really does a good job of having these specialized setups where you play through different aspects of the movies. And uh, and if you are really a fan of whatever the intellectual property is, then making the gameplay really feel like the show or the movie or the book or whatever you like is is a really big thing. And so I am excited about the about being able to get that uh, feel with the the Firefly property that I I really like. And so I. It will be a, a nice intersection of, I hope, of an IP I like and and a game mechanic I like. So I'm I'm actually surprised surprised you didn't uh, express an interest in this one because I know you like Firefly. I do like Firefly. I somehow missed this when I was perusing the list. Yes, I'm definitely interested in this. I'm also I I would have put it on my list, but I felt it was cheating. I am interested in demoing that Headhunters game from the last podcast that definitely sounded pretty cool Uh, yeah yeah they i mean it was a charity episode but they did get an entire episode so it's kind of like scythe where i'm talking you know next episode's going to be about scythe yeah so that should have been yeah episode 189 headhunters again so the jack vassal memorial fund when i say it's the jack vassal memorial fund episode if you if you haven't listened to those uh, the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund raises money for gamers in needs. Every year they have an auction. And for the last two auctions we have put up on the website, you know, it's a, you know, charity auction. You get to come on the episode if you want. You get to pick what the episode is about. You know, you get to be the, uh, the executive producer kind of for the, the episode. And so, uh, Gutshot Games, uh, they won that bid to, uh, to be on that episode. So, and, and that's what that was. And, and Headhunters was a, uh, like you get a toy. It's going to be on Kickstarter this year. You get a toy with a giant head and inside the head are the game pieces. And then it's, it's kind of a miniatures game. And then you can just play with the one figure you get. Or you can, uh, if you have multiple figures, you can swap some of the, the components out from their decks that are inside their heads. Oh yeah, the construction was kind of like the Star Wars LCG pods where like here's a weapon pod and you can swap that out for another weapon pod. Yeah, and so that they were they did headhunters and uh this one same designers legendary counters firefly is upper deck. So that should be right at the gate if the I have not memorized the layout but upper deck is usually right near mm-hmm. the front. So the crush uh Yes, there can be crushing. Uh, <laughs> so my my number four legendary encounters Firefly. Okay, so my number three is a game called Suspicion. Again, we're seeing the theme. This <laughs> this this is a game of uh, deduction and and uh, jewel thieves. So you're all all the players are jewel thieves at this mansion, but you don't know who each other are. There's a number of there's like ten different figures around the board and you're secretly one of them and on your turn you roll dice to determine which ones you get to move and then you do actions to try and steal dice and so at the end or try try and steal gems and so at the end of the game you are a trying to have the most gems the most value of gems but also b be able to correctly out the other players as jewel thieves so that they get arrested but you don't 
Again, it's a fun social deduction hidden information game published by Wonder Forge, designed by Forrest Prusan Creative. So that one sounds exciting to me. I like that type of hidden deduction information game. It would be hard for our list to have less overlap. The, <laughs> uh, just, spoiler alert, Valley of the Kings is the only thing, the only thing that is on both of our lists. And I suspect that there are, I don't know how many of them, but there are at least a couple of games on my list where you could probably take every single game on your list and put mm-hmm. it in. I guess I actually don't know if the one about the your number two, we'll have to get to there. But a lot of these, yeah, like, like the little tiny small box things, uh, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, smaller even than the value of the kings. It's kind of interesting. So my number three is Tyrants of the Underdark, which is by Gale Force 9, which makes this Gale Force 9 the only publisher that uh, got two spots on this list. So Tyrants of the Underdark, as you might guess from the title, does have a Dungeons and Dragons license and is about the drow of the Underdark. It is a deck building game, and we all know I like deck building games. Yes. Legendary Encounters, also a deck-building game. It is a deck-building game where you are also engaged in an area control element on this map of the Underdark, where you're you're trying to control caverns and then expand your network, and then you can assassinate the other players' things. And this one I should be getting to play at Gen Con. I do still really like Dungeons & Dragons. Again... One of those, you see more of that if you're on the, the website, although not a ton, because D&D 5th Edition does not, they don't release books constantly. They have like three books a year or something. It's interesting. It's just a real contrast now that you have your, your two titans of fantasy role-playing, right, are Pathfinder and D&D, and Pathfinder is mechanically, right, D&D 3.75 or whatever mm-hmm. exact number you want to have on it, a a, a version of D&D that was all about crunch and where, like, a large part of new books is all about, you know, new character classes, 50 new feats and 100 new spells and and all that sort of stuff. And, and D&D now, I mean, 4th, I did not like 4th at all. D&D 5th goes the opposite way on that, there's almost no crunch in the game. Like, there's, I think there are, later this year, they're going to come out with their first book that has any kind of significant new crunch in it since D&D 5th came out. They come out with these campaign books, and the campaign books have some new mechanics in it, but, it, I mean, there's some new magic items. The Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide had a few backgrounds in it, but I think the new one's going to have like actual new races and stuff, but there, there just is not this element of of constantly adding more and more character options. It's two very divergent views of of how it is, and they're both good, mm-hmm. but just just different. Anyhow, none of that has to do with my number three game, which was Tyrants of the Underdark from Gale Force Nine, designed by Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, and Andrew Veen. All right, so my number two is called Seven Ronin. I'm going based on both the name and the theme of the game, that it's based on the Kurosawa Seven Samurai. It's an asymmetric two-player. One player is playing the seven ronin that are defending this town. The other player is playing a group of ninja that is attacking the, the town. And it's one where you have simultaneous reveal of where your 
offenses and defenses are going to be. And then once that's revealed, you have combats to figure out who actually controls the areas. Basically, the, the Ronins are, are just trying to outlast the ninja long enough, whereas the ninja just need to take over about half of the town to be able to win. So it sounds like a really fun two-player, different, asymmetric game published by Badger's Nest Gray Fox Games, designed by Mark Mydell and Piotr Stankiewicz. I like the Kurosawa Seven Samurai, so who wouldn't want to play a board game that's like that? So that's what I was saying. This bug, you actually might have a, a bigger box with this one, so that not a social deduction game, but still hidden. Stuff. Still hidden information, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So my number two game will be, uh, I, I guess my number, it will be more surprising, I suppose, than my number one game, but not, not surprising at all if you've been listening to the last few episodes, is Pursuit of Happiness, which, as discussed in, in episode 187, The Return, vaulted to the top of my list, effectively because I had to play Life with, uh, and, and chose to play in a couple different iterations, see what it is, thought, hey, there could be a really good game using this theme, and then, it turned out that uh, there was one coming out. In fact, Pursuit of Happiness was one of those games. It got an extremely limited release at Essen in 2015 with Artipia. I mean, I, a few hundred copies, and that was it. Then they did a Kickstarter, which I was not aware of. Like, I saw the Kickstarters for Ninth World and Gloomhaven. I did not see either. I Either I didn't see it or I saw it and my, my eyes glazed over. I don't know. And so that... The Kickstarter happened earlier this year, and now Pursuit of Happiness in the U.S. is coming from Stronghold, and I think it's going to be, I, I think it's aimed to be available for purchase in limited quantities at Gen Con for retail release later. So P- Pursuit of Happiness is a worker placement game where your workers are time, and you <laughs> live over a, I mean, you, you live over a certain length of time, right? You go from childhood to, or maybe I think childhood might already be done. I think maybe you start as a teenager. And it's really like, what are you going to do with your time? You can have a relationship or not. You can have a job or not. I'm guessing that you probably have to have a job it, it, to, to do well, but maybe you can go your life without having a job. You can, and then you can have activities that bring you happiness, right, translates to victory points, you can ignore health and just kind of try to maximize what you got, or you can do activities that don't benefit you as much in other ways, but make you healthier, which can extend your lifespan. Essentially, over a, a certain amount of time on the game, you you can have stress inflicted on you, and at some point you have an accumulated amount of stress that kills you. You have a heart attack. Such a realistic game. Your old age eventually happens. Uh, <laughs> it looks to be a solid worker placement game, and I like worker placement games, and I, at this particular moment, am absolutely in love with a the theme that is Pursuit of Happiness, which will be, uh, John Con will be from Stronghold, designed by Adrian Abella and David Chercock. Alright, so my number one game... It's not on my list because of the name, but I think it got propelled to the top of my list because of the name that I'm going to be constantly, when playing this, yelling it out. It is the game Jacques! This is another hidden information one. Basically, you're an inherent of someone who has just died, but this policeman just shows up and says, I don't think this was a, a natural cause. 
I'm pretty sure that he was, you know, shot, bludgeoned, poisoned, stabbed, and thrown off a balcony. I don't think those are natural causes. I think one of you did it. And so, you know, you're the the rightful heir, so you want to help this nice policeman figure out which of these other horrible people actually did this murder of which they're accused. So your goal is to basically stick someone else as the murder suspect. This is one of those games where somebody doesn't win, rather somebody loses. <laughs> and your goal is to make sure it's not you. So this just sounds like the exact type of thing I have the most fun of, of just, you know, you're hanging out with your friends and you're goofing around and at some point you get to yell, Jacques! And have that person arrested. <laughs> uh, so that's published by Smirk and Dagger Games, designed by Jonathan Lavallee. You just do that in, in random games? Like, I mean, you could do that in, like, oh, that's sus- yeah. that, that covert or suspicion, whichever one was the jewel thief. You could just say Jacques right in that too. It doesn't even have to be in the game mechanics. You can just be like, playing Agricola and just point yeah. at one of the other farmers and be like, Jacques Hughes, you stole my cucumbers. I, I am not supposed to talk about that Dungeons and Dragons game anymore. No. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, the least surprising thing ever, my number one most anticipated game uh, at uh, Gen Con 2016 is Seafall. This is a legacy game by the guy who created legacy games, and it is, and although not not a co-op like Pandemic Legacy, Glo- oh, Gloomhaven also is a co-op, but this is a competitive game. It is a more Euro-themed sort of thing. You know, you're a age of exploration, seafaring, but same kind of persistent world, same kind of build-up. Pandemic Legacy was astoundingly good. Now, Seafall is Plat Hat. So different publisher, well, different publisher, although owned by the same company, because they're both both Z-Man and Plaid Hat are part of F2Z Entertainment, and may soon be part of Asmodee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yes, because there was a press release that they're uh, in negotiate in exclusive negotiations to <laughs> F2Z. But anyhow, uh, that really doesn't have anything to do with the game. This is going to be an early sale at Gen Con. And I intend to, like, this is the one that I, I really want to try to rush in on Thursday morning and get. It's kind of interesting. You actually get a slightly better version if you pre-order it from the company. Because if you pre-order it from Plaid Hat, you get, like, metal coins. But I don't care that much about metal coins. And I then I don't get it as soon. So, my plan is to try to get in and get this. Now, of course, I don't know how many copies they're going to have. I don't know how much of a pain it's going to be. I don't know if, like, I'm going to get tripped or something trying to get past the Fantasy Flight booth to the Plaid Hat booth. And, you know, <laughs> you know who knows what's uh, what's going to happen. But I... It, you know, I mean, right, because it's, it's sort of interesting. For all the for all the fact that, like, we're... Like, we do board game reviews, and you go to Gen Con, and it's got the new stuff. I'm relatively speaking, not somebody who's has to have something right now, right? Right. We go to Mike. Mike is not going to Gen Con this year unless plans have changed and I, I don't know about it. For him, it's a really big deal to get the games early and he would load up on stuff at Gen Con. Me, I am excited to do demos of things. I, 
I like to, when possible, have have played things before I get them. And I and if I get it a little bit later, eh, you know, whatever, it's not that huge a deal. But Seafall, I would really like that right away. I actually, it, it, this could get canceled for for obvious reasons, but we actually are are scheduled to start Seafall on the Friday after Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> So we will we'll see. Hopefully I don't have to cancel that due to not being able to get a copy of Seafall. But I don't know. So that that's my number one uh Seafall. Seafall from Plat Hat. So though there you go, that's I ten from each of us, nineteen different games, giving you a nice wide spread of things. So any any final thoughts about in advance of Gen Con? Uh I am totally hyped to go again i love gen con so even even without spending 90 percent of my time at the ag tournament section watching and or playing l5r i fully expect to have a good time and yeah looking forward to it you can save that for for 2017 mm. rush the fantasy flight booth buy three copies of the base set go deck build that night go play in a tournament something like that yeah that's uh yeah <laughs> that's, that's, uh, uh, we've got our Gen Con 2017 plans. There you go. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm I'm already debating with myself if I want to get a VIG ticket for next year's Gen Con so I can get the early access to the. Um, Aren't big tickets like 500 bucks? I I thought there were only like a hundred. I don't know. That's an important thing to figure out, yes. Yeah, yeah, they are, yeah. So big, 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 very important gamer. You get some early access to areas. There are some events that only you can do. There's like a lounge with snacks and, and, and beverages and such. But I, my recollection was that it was pretty pricey. I actually saw a really cool event. I'm like, I wouldn't be able to, I wasn't going to be able to do it for scheduling reasons anyway, but mm-hmm. I thought it would be really good to do. But then it turned out to be VIG only. Is that on Sunday they're playing a a large scale game of Mega Civilization with Peter Atkinson, the guy who used to be the CEO of Wizards of the Coast and now owns Gen Con. And it the game like starts on Sunday morning, and although the list right it, it ends at four, like everything ends at four on Sunday. It, like the notes say, we will actually be playing like well past when the convention closes, possibly to like 9 o'clock at night or something like that. So it is this massive 12-hour mega-civilization game with the guy who owns Gen Con. I'm like, that would actually be pretty cool. I, I can't stay that late on Sunday, but, no, yeah. but yes, but you have to be a VIG. So, again, so we'll we'll be at Strange Assembly. If you randomly happen to see us, feel free to uh, come up and say hi. So... You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there or on iTunes, Stitcher, or other podcast services. We are on the usual social media places, or at least a couple of them. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, and we're facebook.com slash strangeassembly. You can reach me directly. I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments, feedback, criticisms, and so forth, so feel free to use it. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Certainly not a Gen Con.